This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi. Theory. Welcome to High Theory. In this podcast, we get high on the substance of theory. I'm Kim Adams. And I'm Sharonik Boshu. We are two tired academics trying to save critique from itself. Hello and welcome to today's episode, which is titled Computational Creativity. And our guest today will tell us whether or not we should be scared about AI. Actually, I'm kidding. Anyway, our guest today is Tuhin Chakraborty, and I'm going to ask Tuhin to introduce himself. I am Tuhin, uh, and I'm a PhD student at Columbia University in the Department of Computer Science. As Sharonik described, my research is primarily focused on artificial intelligence. And artificial intelligence is like an umbrella term which kind of encapsulates a lot of different sources. It can deal with images, it can deal with text, it can deal with other sources of media such as audio or video. Uh, My research interests are particularly on artificial intelligence uh, concerning text. In computer science, it's also called natural language processing, which which is again a field at the intersection of linguistics and statistics and mathematics. I recently got introduced to this really interdisciplinary and cool field of computational creativity. And we definitely... Sorry, I have to ask you about that. So Tohin, what the heck is computational creativity? I mean, computational creativity is this like really cool uh, multidisciplinary endeavor that's, that's located at the intersection of multiple fields, such as like artificial intelligence, uh, cognitive sciences, psychology, philosophy, and the arts. It, it basically concerns with both theoretical and practical issues in the study of creativity. Some of the theoretical work on like the nature and the proper definition of creativity is performed here, as well as we also want to implement systems that exhibit, exhibit creativity. To give you an example, like computational system, which is writing a story or a computational system, which is writing a poetry, or maybe like an image uh, where you have an image of a particular style and then you want to transform it to a different style. Or, or maybe just kind of create some music which is inspired from some music uh, from say Mozart. So like, yeah, it's, it's basically a field where you are infusing uh, creativity from different elements, but then a human is not doing that. Uh, 
AI model or a, or a computer science uh, model is basically doing the same thing. You have an image in a particular style, then you transfer that style to something else. And I'm guessing that this is, you know, more complicated than say, uh, Facebook filters, which transform your face into a Van Gogh painting. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, you can actually think of that also as computational creativity, because like, I guess now it's like a common filter. Everyone is kind of aware of it. Or, or say, supposedly, if you're using Snapchat or Instagram, like these days, there are so many filters, right, where you can see that your face is kind of suddenly becoming that of a lion or like uh, it kind of is resembling something like a, maybe like a monster or different type of like uh, superimposing with image. So like this is something which is a certain style of creativity, right? Like ideally a human would be very well equipped to do something like that. But now we are just kind of moving a step ahead from it. And we are saying that we can train models who can automatically do this. All we need to do is input uh, image source and then like a target which we wanted to transform. And then all, all it's going to do is it's going to automatically transform it. I guess you've already started answering my next question, which is how do we use computational creativity? Yeah, this is this is a big question. And um, there is a lot of debate about computational creativity, the ethical implications of it, where it leads to future creative practitioners if machine learning or AI models are going to take this over. But uh, when I started doing research in computational creativity, I always thought of this as a boon in disguise because I feel as humans, um, creativity kind of flows. Like sometimes you're very creative, but then sometimes you're not at all creative. But for a computer or an AI system, that sort of pattern never happens. If you have already trained your model on uh, pre-existing data, then if you require it to produce a certain sort of creative output, it's always going to do this for you. So to give you like a very easy example, like let's say um, you are trying to write poetry, okay? And then you wrote like, four sentences and you're kind of bogged down and confused on like how the next sentence should be. Like you you want it to be thoughtful, you want it to be coherent, you want it to be uh, based on uh, the context. So let's say you are running out of ideas and you're just like sitting and pondering like what, what could it be? Let's say now you have a computational uh, creative model which is trained to suggest you like verses or next sentences. So what you can then just do is like input a couple of contexts from your written poetry. And then it what it is going to do is it's going to like suggest you a couple of next sentences. And then what you can do is use your own discretion to probably edit it or just like take it as it is and use it in your uh, poetry. And this kind of like helps you kind of just go with the process. This is This is one example. Let's say if I want to give you another example, like if you think in like writing an essay or like a persuasive essay where it has been shown that uh, the use of metaphors uh, make your essay really strong or persuasive. So they, they wrote a literal sentence and then you want to transform the sentence to kind of evoke or portray a certain metaphor. Uh, now, as we know that like coming up with good metaphors is itself a very challenging task even for humans. So if you have a very good uh, AI system, which is kind of good at uh, predicting or kind of transforming these literal sentences into metaphorical paraphrases, then this can be of like a lot of help and use even for like the education sector. So yeah, I kind of think that like computational creativity to be like this collaborative field, which kind of uses um, 
AI to help creative practitioners. So on the one hand, any system which is equipped with computational creativity can be seen as, say, one step further from a dictionary or a thesaurus. And so when you're writing something and you, as you said, you're writing a persuasive essay and you have written down a word and you do check the thesaurus to sort of have a more fancy sounding word because you are writing this for an audience which requires that kind of writing. So you're saying that any system equipped with this in any form can be one step ahead of this. And since you're thinking of the application of this in education, so that kind of characterization works really well. But on the other hand, uh, and I was really struck by what you you know said about the process of writing poetry. In terms of these systems being used to sort of get over writer's block, one would argue that you know, the, that kind of frustration and that kind of uh, labor is what entails the human creative process. So sort of how do people who are working in your field, you know, think about those kind of frustrations as productive labor? I kind of resonate with what you're trying to say here. I guess one of the ways I kind of look at it is, so basically, let's say you have a writer's block and like you are spending days just thinking about it or you're just not finding a cue or not finding a narrative. And uh, this is like affecting your like mental health or your productivity, right? So instead, what you can do is you can seek help from this uh, trained system. And I'm not saying that this is sort of a plagiarism where you're basically trying to copy what the AI model is saying. All you can do is like, you can even take some sort of inspiration from it. Like, let's say it's, it's predicted text, right? And then what you can do from there is like, you can change it in your own way. You can add your own flavor, but then at least what what is helpful here is because these models are trained on gigantic and enormous amount of data, um, they are very good at like predictive text. So they can they can generate like your next sentences, like two sentences from your previous context. Like they can they can even generate a whole book. So of course, I mean, this is not something which would be like as close to like a human performance. But then this is still a step forward in kind of assisting creative writing practitioners or or anyone else. Like, even if you think of like computational creativity in music, like let's say the same sort of problems which a writer faces, sometimes a musician faces as well, right? Like they are not being able to find a nice uh, melodious tune to their song. And then like they go to like this model which is like kind of trained to generate uh, new say new music so they can just uh, hear something and kind of borrow that into their work and then like kind of nicely infuse it to form something so I kind of look at it in a positive way where uh, I feel it is it is kind of keeping in consideration the productivity angle but it's also kind of making sure that you are not spending like a lot of time just being frustrated about it or thinking about it, you can just like take help from these systems and further improve your productivity. You mentioned predictive text and I, when we decided to do this episode, I know I asked you that we cannot get very technical, but at the same time, I think that people generally have heard about GDP3 and people have been in talking about GDP3 for a while now. And I kind of know what it is, but I also don't know what it is. So can you just explain in three seconds? It's generative pre-trained transformer. Let's say this is artificial neural network, uh, which is a AI model. And the, the beautiful benefit of GPT-3 is it is a model which is trained on almost the whole of internet. And 
through this large scale training, what this model becomes is this model becomes very good at predicting text. So if you say like, I am uh, staying in New York City and I take the, it's going to probably easily say the subway because like it knows that you are talking about living in New York City and subway is something which is there in New York City and take the, so probably this is something which is very common in usual discourse. Or let's say any general sentence, if you just, if you say that I bought two gallons of, then like the probability of it predicting this as milk or water would be a lot more higher than maybe something like petrol. So I think like it is very good at predicting next words. And what is even more better for GPT-3 is it is not only restrictive to words, it can generate sentences, phrases, paragraphs, even like big documents. On the note of specific applications of GPT-3 and also on the larger note of future applications of AI. And especially, as you know, there's been a lot of uh, debate about this, especially surrounding the presidential campaign of Andrew Yang, who really was the first person, at least in the, the American uh, political scene, who was who has talked about automation uh, as part of their campaign. So it, it's something that is in all our minds uh, right now. And I want you to use that as a sort of platform to answer my next question, which is how will uh, computational creativity save the world? I guess computational creativity is not trying to save the world in a traditional sense, but what it can do is like it can uh, help us in multiple ways. Uh, we all use this acronym TLDR, right? Like too long, don't read. So like, let's say there is this like really two-page political speech or like two-page campaign, which you probably don't have the time to read. But there are currently like computationally creative models, which are very good uh, in terms of like summarizing the content. So like what it can do is like you're feeding it a two-page content and it's kind of like summarizing and telling you it in two to three sentences. So this kind of is saving a lot of your time and then also kind of like improving your productivity so that you can use the same amount of time for other tasks. Yeah, I mean, if you particularly ask about like how computational creative models can help in the political space, I feel that's that's definitely something. And also like the earlier example, which I talked about, right? Like uh, metaphors, like you you know that politicians constantly use very powerful metaphors because like metaphors are like a tool which kind of like drives audiences, like kind of influences the mass. and while we have to be careful about uh, using powerful metaphors because like metaphors can also like sway you in a bad way, but then it kind of less makes your text a lot more convincing and persuasive, right? So if someone is writing something in a haste and then they want to just kind of like edit uh, this text using computational creativity tools, this kind of like helps and makes their writing a lot more stronger. So I'm sure like we are aware of tools like Grammarly, right? Which kind of creates a very good environment by correcting your grammatical errors or punctuation. So I'm not, you know, I, I completely understand like at the granular level that this is something that is, it, it, it really uh, expresses how far we have come and this is how it works is really a thing of wonder. So I'm talking about in a much larger sense, which is very, very simply put, you know, two questions. One is, or I know that, you know, you are not charged with solving these problems, but I'm just wondering what you think of them or what people in your field are thinking of these issues. One, of course, is, you know, job losses from automation. And the other, you know, given how realistically or how realistic, quote unquote, realistic texts 
being produced by um, systems like these, you know, what are your thoughts on them being used for generating fake news, for example? These are like very good questions. And of course, like with one of the very important facets for AI is responsible and safe AI, right? I mean, we all know, and like this is here, we are talking about computational creativity, but then like, I guess we're all aware of all the evils of like facial recognition systems, which is also like AI based, right? There are biases in the data. And when these large models are trained on like internet data, and we know that like internet data contains a lot of toxic language, they can like be, they can be harsh towards marginalized communities, they can produce racist and sexist texts. So that's definitely one of the considerations. And especially for this giant pre-trained uh, language models, uh, there is a lot of research which is also going on in the community about like how we can make sure um, or how we can use sophisticated techniques so that these models are not producing any sort of biased or um, fake news. And when you say that that sort of predictive text generation by an AI model is harmful to the society. And when you come about like fake news, yeah, that's definitely one of the bigger concerns. And um, yeah, I mean, there is also a lot of like uh, work which is going on in the current community in terms of like faithfulness of like natural language generation systems, like how much they can actually produce faithful and coherent uh, output. But the thing to add here is it's also really difficult and challenging at this point of time to have really like authentic 100% true news. So what I think of computational creativity is like a nice uh, human in the loop kind of thing where say say you are asking a language model like GPT-3 to generate some text for you, but then you have to think of this as a genre. Like if this is like a creative genre, say like a story writing or a poetry, you probably wouldn't care that much, right? But then let's say you're writing a New York Times um, journalistic piece using a language model, then you definitely need proof checking or fact checking by a person who can then just go through the text. And then if there is something incorrect, then just kind of change it. So I still feel that we are not at this level, or I don't even think we will ever be at that level where we are going to give that sort of autonomy to AI systems. What it is going to do is it is going to make the jobs of existing uh, professionals a lot more easier. Like, I mean, a journalist not only has to fact check, they also have to like write coherent sentences, like come up with like a whole text. It's a lot of task, right? So here, if you are using a language model to generate a lot of text for you, then like what the next step is for the journalist is probably to go through it and see if there are grammatical mistakes or there are errors or there are like factually inconsistent outputs, which they can then uh, edit, which should still be a lot more easier and less time consuming than that, than just writing something from the scratch. So I do feel that it wouldn't be like a time where these language models or these AI systems would just kind of replace jobs. But I do think of a time when, uh, when people would be a lot more eager and a lot more accepting of the fact that these systems are your companions and all they're going to do is they're going to help even currently in google right in gmail like you have auto predictive text in your emails right like so this is a classic example of language model being used used for a productive purpose am i saying that then i will just let an ai model type my email for me i, I am not saying that i will never never trust ai models at this point of time to do such kind of a thing but then i can definitely think of my ai model as my friend who's going to like 
help me or assist me in these tasks. All right. Thank you so much for coming to our show and telling us all about computational creativity, Tohin. Thank you. And thank you for listening to High Theory. If you like our podcast, please review and subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, Patreon, or wherever you get your podcast fix. Sharonik Bosu manages our social media presence. Owen Quinn composes our theme music, and Kim Adams and Sharonik Bosu edit our audio. You can also find us at hightheory.net. We hope you have a highly theoretical day.